Wasn't that love? We're so glad for his love. So glad for his grace. Let's take our Bibles and turn together to the book of Ruth this evening. I don't want to be as long-winded this evening as my son was this morning in Grand Prairie. Uh, I heard he was going to be here tonight, but he uh, was too long-winded this morning. And so I don't think he's going to make it, Brother Dwayne. That's just the way it goes. Uh, he didn't get it from me. must have got it from his mother, I guess. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Well, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here this weekend. I was just kind of heading to Grand Prairie. The way the flights worked out, it was better for me to fly into Edmonton and then drive to Grand Prairie and come back through here and and Brother Ed graciously extended the invitation, so I want to thank him. I don't think he knew at that time that this would be the weekend of the, they'd be lifting the restrictions. So that's just God's grace to me, <laughs> and I, I would have been happy to hear you preach one of these services, Brother Ed, or even Brother Andrew or Brother Moses, you know, it would have been great for me to enjoy a service and uh, feed on the Word of God. But... Uh, you know, I just want to say about my son who's not here that he ought to be here. Uh, no, what I want to say about him is that uh, uh, I'm very proud of Andrew, actually, and uh, uh, as a son. Uh, and I'm, I'm not proud of him because he's done what I've said, but I'm proud of him because he's done what the Lord said. And to me, that's very important. You see, I've never promoted my sons. I've never been anywhere, said, you know what, you ought to have my son preach, or you ought to, you know, you ought to, my son's a preacher, or this or that. I've never, ever done that. And although I respect their ministries, both Andrew and Stephen, my eldest son, and, and uh, I could sit and listen at them preach anytime. And uh, I would thoroughly enjoy it, and have thoroughly enjoyed it, in the past, but God doesn't have grandchildren. God has children. And as a father, the one desire that I would have for a son is that he would walk with God. And if I can see God's leadership in his life, that means more to me than anything. And so I'm so thankful for Andrew and the blessing that he's been here, the help that he's given to the church and to the, the elder ministers here. Are you an elder minister, Brother Moses? Yeah. <laughs> this is my elder here, you see. And uh, you're in quite a seat, by the way, tonight. The last one that sat there, I asked him what message was I could find something, and he had it right there. And so you're under pressure tonight. All right. So... Uh, we just thank God for everything, <laughs> and uh, praise the Lord. So this is the evening crowd tonight. I think this is a different crowd. How many were here this morning in church? 
How many were here? My, quite a few. All right. Well, you know, I think it's, it's uh, hmm? we added a few in number tonight. Okay, wonderful. Wonderful. And I'm glad that each one of you are here. You know, I think that the believers love to be in church so much that there could be a scalper outside the door with one of your tickets. <laughs> and uh, offering it for sale, and somebody would pick it up. <laughs> and uh, uh, I know I would. <laughs> so depends on the price, of course, but it depends if I could afford it. But uh, we just thank God for each and every one of you and for what the church has meant here in Edmonton for all the years. You know, Brother Ed, when we were just coming into the message, and I was very young in the message when I moved to Dawson Creek at that time and then to Grand Prairie, and... Uh, Brother Harold was always a great friend and a great support, and uh, I'll never forget that, not as long as I live. He was always encouraging me and always positive, and, you know, I'll, it, it meant so much to me, and I uh, appreciate him so much, and many of you old-timers, Brother Allen, you didn't look like you did now, like you do now, and, you know, sometimes we... Uh, to see you standing there beside your son, and you look more like he does now back then. <laughs> but uh, time goes on, and these bodies are not eternal yet. And so they age, and they fall apart, and you young people, Sister Candace, good to see you. You know, those of you that are young, you're thinking, man, I remember when I said to my dad, I said, when I get older, I'm not going to be heavy like you. I, I look like... Stephen or John, you know, quite thin, and well, that didn't work out so well, did it? Life goes on, but here we have no continuing city. We're seeking a city whose builder and maker is God, and we just believe that with all of our hearts. Shall we bow our heads together? If you have a need tonight, you have something that, maybe there's something that you want to make contact with God tonight. You want to... Uh, be touched by him, or you want an answer from him, or there's something. We may not be able to lay hands on you because of the regulations, and I'm not sure even about that, but I'll just say it this way. If your faith can touch the hem of his garment, Brother Brandon would stand in the pulpit and say, who did she touch, or who did he touch? It, it wasn't social distancing, it was spiritual relationship. And if you have a need, why don't you just reach out by faith to the Lord Jesus tonight as we pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are bowing in your presence, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you, Lord, for your grace in our lives. It overwhelms me. When I look back throughout the few years that I've been on the earth, Lord, so many times you've stepped in to meet my needs. And Lord, there might be needy people here this evening. There might be some that are streaming the service that are needy. Father, won't you come by their way? Won't you just let them touch the hem of your garments? 
Just pour in faith, O oh God. Faith comes from you. It's the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's revelation, and you are the only giver of revelation, Lord. We're so reliant upon you. And so we pray, Lord, as we turn back the pages of your word, faith comes by hearing the word. And so, Lord, as we speak it, may you inspire it. And may you give it, O oh God, to the people as they have need of, for you are the great shepherd that watches over the flock and knows the needs of each and every one. We give this service now to you, this little bit of time. We don't know, Lord, the way the world is going. This might be the last service we have together. We want to treat it like that, Lord. If there's anything you can ring out of this gift as it were, Lord. May you just do it tonight for the benefit of the body of Jesus Christ. We give ourselves to you asking your perfect will to be done in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Ruth chapter 2, and we'll begin reading at verse 10. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, him being Boaz, why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest see, take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Now that's an amazing statement, but now let's, I did something a little bit different. Now I want to step back to verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, and, and the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless thee. Now, here's a man that was well-established in business. He was well-established in the community. He was well-established in his inheritance, but he didn't have a wife. And he was lacking that one thing. And then said Boaz unto his servants that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued even from the morning until now, and she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be upon the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. For have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face. So I want you to see now a conversation had taken place. She had received something from Boaz. And then she came to a realization that she had found grace in his eyes. She fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes. Amen. The Lord had his blessing to the word. You may be seated. You know, as we go through life, we, uh, I always uh, think about, as I said this morning, our elder brothers. You know, Brother Ed is my elder brother. And uh, I always uh, respect these brothers who have been down the road a long way. And, and, uh, uh, I was thinking about how that, you know, even the scripture talks about Jesus talking about to Peter, you know, the, that when you were born, someone had to lead you. But when we're born, you know, we, we have a desire. And I, 
I, I kind of am going through it again as the Lord has given me comfort after the loss of my first wife and given me Sister Sarah. And, and uh, now we have two little children, the youngest being just four months old, and Gideon now is about three years old. And so he, he's beginning to be a real communicator. And he's beginning to know how to use communication to manipulate things as he's three years old. And those of you that have had little children understand that. And I'm going through it a second time, and it's bringing me back a lot of memories. Matter of fact, it reminds me a lot of Andrew, little Gideon does. And, and uh, I won't tell you why. But, uh, so, but as their children, you know, and they look to their parents... Uh, they, they seek to please their parents. They want to make the parents happy. And, and they, they have this natural desire, whether it be a father or a mother, that they, they want their parents to be proud of them. And if a parent is proud of their child, and I believe as parents, there's always things that we can be proud of our children. But Sometimes even as parents, we have a, uh, we have a hard time showing it that, that, uh, that because we're always wanting our children to do better. And so it's a mixture of correction along with pride. And so it comes in, in a unique parent and child relationship. And then as the child gets older, he, he learns or she learns that there's others in life that that really it would be to their benefit to please. Such as when they go to school, they want to be pleasing to the teacher. It's to their benefit to do their work the right way, to answer the questions the right way, to hand in the, the uh, homework in a timely fashion and those kind of things because it will benefit them in their grades. So if they make their teachers happy, then that will make their parents happy. And that in turn will make them happy. And so there, there's this desire for being pleasing. And that moves on in life as, as they get older, especially among brothers. They realize, really, I need to make my boss happy. If my boss is happy, my life goes better. Amen, brothers? Is this the lively crowd tonight? I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, if, if my boss is happy, then I'm happy. If my boss is happy, things go better. If my boss is happy, I might keep getting a paycheck. But if my boss is unhappy, that's not going to work out too well. But ultimately, uh, and, and, or, or rather let me say it this way, even there's another aspect of, of pleasing somebody. And, and that is that a lot of times in life there's a, uh, there's a pressure to please the peer group. There's peer pressure we call it. And so there, there's, especially upon young people, they want to fit in. And that, that becomes a real pressure in life because of the fear of rejection. And, and nobody likes rejection. You know, Brother Branham battled with rejection. He didn't want to, he, he lived with a lot of rejection as a youth because of the family he was from, the types of things that his dad did, and people didn't want to have anything to do with them, and how poor he was, and all that kind of thing. So he had this complex, this fear of rejection that he had to overcome, because if God's ever going to use you, you cannot be mindful of what men are going to think about you. 
Because the ultimate is that in the end of it all, we want to please one person, and that's Almighty God. If we're pleasing to him, then that will solve everything else. That's the most important thing. There is a God in heaven. Now, let me just say this. This is fundamental, but there is a God in heaven. I hope we can say amen to that. He is a reality. He's not a thought. He's a person. And this God in heaven is the one in whom it is most important to please him. And it's obvious in the age that we're living in, uh, you know, we could say, as it was in the days of Noah, that God looked upon the hearts of men, that they were continually evil before God, and it grieved God. He repented that he had made mankind because of their actions. So there was a general consensus about society in Noah's day that they did not please God. And it's come to that again as it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be in the revealing of the Son of Man. We've come to that once again as it was in the days of Sodom. The evil that cries out, that grieves God. And we see men and women in this day and their behavior, in their their words, in their conversation, in their attire, in many different things. They have no consciousness of God. They have no realization that it would do you well to please God. Life would just work better for you if you considered God in your decisions. I'm not even talking about the bride. I'm just talking about the world in general. You know, I was talking to a brother the other day. I can't remember who it was. They were talking about the current president of the United States, and we were talking about the economy and different things and how that was working for him. And, and, and he said, you know, well, some of the, some of the uh, policies that he put in place and everything, I says, I'll tell you what, I, this is what my thoughts is. President Trump is for Israel. And he who blesses Israel is blessed. You might be the most ornery, narcissistic, self-centered man that there is, but if you're for Israel, God is pleased with that. And that has brought the blessing upon the United States. Uh, maybe his, his policies are blessed by God, whatever more it might be. But to me, the number one thing that he did right was to stand for Israel. If we want to please anyone, if I could just say it to some, because sometimes, and I, and I don't know if I've said it here before, but sometimes I've had to go there even with my children, I remember the, the conversation that Andrew and I had when he gave his heart to the Lord. I remember others as well. Sometimes you have to go back to the very beginning and say, all right, number one, do you believe there is a God? Because you can build on that. I was listening to uh, a man speak about I just happened to catch the headline, and it said, why I don't like the question, do you believe in God? And the man I knew wasn't a Christian. I knew who the man was. And, uh, and so I, was, I thought, well, this ought to be interesting because he's not a Christian, and I'd like to see what he does with that question. And so he, he's, he's actually, actually a, a very well-known psychologist, and, 
And he was giving a talk and he says, now I don't like that question, do you believe that there's a God? He says, but this is why I don't like it. He says, because if I believed that there is a God, or if I believe that there is a God, I must act like there is a God. The man was intelligent enough to realize, if I really believe there's a God, then I must behave myself like there is a God. And, and sometimes it's good just to take even sometimes our young people that are wrestling with their own walk with, the, with God and say, listen, there is a God. He has vindicated that he is alive. He has sent infallible signs and wonders in this generation. And he, he has showed us even just the things that God has done in this little church here in Edmonton, that God ha has shown himself alive in this generation. That is a God that I want to please. I'm not, I can't be perfect in myself. I'm only perfect in him. I'm only perfect because I have received the blood of Jesus Christ. I have no perfection to present to him. But let me just say this. If I was perfect, I wouldn't need God. He's the only perfect one. And because I'm not, I need him. Because I'm not, I need his grace. Because I'm not, I need him to deal with me in my life. Not only by grace, but I need him to correct me. Can you go with me there? This is an age that doesn't like correction. I need correction. I'm not one of those preachers that says, let's all say it together. But we ought to say that sometime. I need correction. That's just the reality of it. I don't want to be left to my own devices. Just the same as we would not leave our children to their own devices. And say, well, Gideon, you're three years old now. Just do whatever you want to do. Lord, help us. That's why you end up with riots in the street. That's why you end up with, with uh, uh, what they call it, looting. And you end up with all kinds of nonsense because you got children being raised without correction. They have been brought up to believe that anything they do is just wonderful. I hate to tell you this, young people, but not everything you do is just wonderful. That got quiet. I expect at least all the parents to say, amen, amen. preacher, brother Tim. <laughs> Even these boys are going, come on, brother Tim, move on. <laughs> we need correction. Amen. We need God's hand in our lives. And ultimately, we want to come to the place of Matthew 25, when the Bible records that he gave out the talents because God has given you talents. God has given you, I'll call them potentials. God has given you things in your lives that is different from somebody else that only you can do something with it. And what you with, do with it determines the response of God in the end. And when he, the one that had five talents had gained five more, the Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Amen. That's the words we want to hear, isn't it? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't believe that servant never made any mistakes. 
There maybe was times he needed to recover himself. There maybe was times he was in a deficit, thinking, oh, I've really blown it now. But by the grace of God, and when it come to the end of the road, he that had five talents had gained five more. Amen. To do something with what God has given you, a manifestation or a creative materialization of something that God has given you. I want you to, I'm using those words for a specific reason because, you know, we talk about we're amateur creators, Brother Ed. We talk about, and I'm sure you've spoken a lot to the church, that God made you an amateur creator. You create an atmosphere. You do a lot of things with what God has given you. The potentials that lay within you are so phenomenal that it takes the revealing of the mysteries of God to reveal what God has put in you as an individual. We're not sitting here tonight saying, I want you to look out into the stratospheres, though it would do us good to do that. I want you to see the eternals. I want you to see there's angels gathered around the throne of God. I want you to see the 24 elders. I want you to hear the voices that are crying out, holy, holy, holy unto the Lord. I want you to recognize that there's a great heavenly host that's surrounding us, a great cloud of witnesses that are saying, press the battle, press the battle. There's all these great things going on, but I want you to see more than what's out there. I want you to see down on the inside of you that God put his word in you and he put it in you for a reason because you are the thought of God that was in his mind that would materialize in this age and that materialization would be the fulfillment of prophecy for this hour. That's the reality of what God is doing. All right? So we have all been given something from God, and what we do with it determines whether or not we please him. Remember the one that had one talent, buried it in the ground. So if he buried his one talent in the ground, he must have been occupied with other things. Distracted. Entertainments. Worldly ideas. All kinds of things. And he, and he, and he ignored the one thing that was most important at the end of the road. The, the Lord came to him, did not tell him, what did you do with your time? He did not say, you know, how, how did you behave yourself? How many mistakes did you make? Or, or, or how did you do this? Or how did you do that? And when the Lord came at the end, he said, what did you do with the one talent I gave you? Because what you do with that determines my attitude towards you. And then... The servant said, you know the story. Well, I, I knew that you're uh, an austere God, an austere Lord, and I know you, you reap where you don't sow, and I know, you know you're, you're, you do things just so great and mighty, and, and, and the man is fearful. He says, I, I took it and I hid it in the ground, so here it is. I kept it. God's not interested in getting back what he put in you. God's interested in what he put in you producing something else. And he said to that man, he said, thou wicked and slothful servant. You knew what kind of person I was. And he said, take him and throw him into outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. My goodness. So what is God interested in? How the attitude changed from the one that had five to gain five. Listen, if the one that had five talents came back and said, I still got the five talents, he'd have ended up the same place as the man with one talent. God's not interested in what he give you coming back. We're not sacredly holding over something, and that's even true in the message of the hour. We're not trying to protect the message. The message protects itself. 
The message came to reveal the mystery. Listen, it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter to me one iota if every one of you turned away from the message of the hour. I'd feel sorry for you. I'd pray for you and all of that, but it doesn't matter to my salvation. This message showed me who I was. You never showed me who I was. Who I am in the sight of God is not connected to you. It's connected to God alone. And if there's only just a few left at the end of the road, I want to be one of those few. Because the potentials have been revealed in the message of the hour. Now in Hebrews chapter 11, we'll refer to that a little bit tonight. We find it, it's called the faith chapter and how that The Bible says in verse 5, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. For without faith, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. All right? For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Amen. We're familiar with that scripture, I'm sure. Let me give you a few things that Brother Branham said. He said he had a testimony that he pleased God because he believed God. Another one, Enoch walked with God 500 years, had a testimony that he pleased God. He was a type of the raptured church. Another one, 500 years he walked before God, walking, walking in the light with the testimony that everything God said, he did it. He didn't displease him. What the Lord said do, Enoch done it. Another one, Enoch walked before God for 500 years and had a testimony. He pleased God with raptured faith and just started walking right out and went up through the skies and went home without even tasting death. Never died at all. And then in the message, Perfect Faith, Brother Branham says this. He says, you cannot be saved without faith. Faith is something you have to believe it's there. That really nothing else will declare it there but faith. Now I'm trying to bring faith to you so that you can be ready for this prayer line in the next few minutes. <laughs> that's, a, that's quite a paradox for him to make that statement. You that know the message understand why that's a paradox. Because right in the same message says, if you had real faith, you wouldn't even need the prayer line. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He says, now faith, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And it's impossible to please God without faith. He can, you cannot please him. If you say you believe God, you have never seen him. So then you've got to believe it by faith. And if you could see him, it would be no more faith. See, anything that senses declares is no more faith. It's a scientific fact. It's not no more faith, but you have to accept him by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So in other words, tonight, if I could absolutely prove to you scientifically beyond the shadow of a doubt that God exists, that would not please him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You got these denominational mindsets that love to go back into history and do their archaeological digs and and try and find out and prove things by archaeology and say, well, we can find where Noah's Ark is and we can prove that that's there. I don't need to prove it. I believe it. 
Well, we can go back through the, the science of the cosmos called cosmology and, and trace it back all the way back to the Big Bang and we can prove by the odds that there has to be an intelligent, what do they use? They, the intelligent design, I think is the term they use. Intelligent design that, that made this universe because the odds are too great. It could not happen by chance. I don't need somebody to prove the odds to me. I believe it. God said it, and that's real to me, because faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Amen. So we realize then that faith is what the believer walks by, and by faith we please him. Now, how do we know that we please him? Now, we could walk along by ignorance that we, we might please him or we might not please him. And so, so only as he reveals himself to us, can we know that we please him? All right? I want you to hold on to that for a little bit. What is pleasing to God, as I said this morning, is to receive his word by faith, believing it, and seeing it manifest in your life. Because if you truly believe it, if you truly have faith in the word, it will manifest in your life. Faith is the substance. Faith is the evidence. It is the reality of it. So the Bible says in Genesis chapter 5, it says, Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. And Methuselah, and Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years. Brother Brown kept saying 500, 500, 500. It's 300. All right? We all misquote the scripture from time to time. He says, and begat sons and daughters. And all of the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. All right. Now, Enoch, let me just say this now. Enoch, it is not recorded in the book of Genesis that he pleased God. It's report, recorded in the book of Hebrews that he pleased God. You see, it's only when you look at it through the blood of Calvary that you can identify what God saw in Enoch. The Bible in Genesis just records the physical reality. He lived this long. He had sons and daughters. 300 years, he walked with God and was not, for God took him. That was the reality of it. But really, the, the deeper reality, or that which laid beneath the surface, was that Enoch pleased God. Now, we know one thing about Enoch, because Brother Branham told us so, was that Enoch wrote the second Bible. Is that right? The first Bible, God wrote himself in the stars. The second Bible is the great pyramid which Enoch built before the flood. It's the only thing of the seven great, what they call the seven great wonders of the world that survived through to this age. And so we realize that there's many things that even the flood could not destroy the pyramid because it had to be a type that heavens and earth will pass away, but my word will never fail in type. 
And so in, it was an expression now that Enoch had this great, such a great walk with God and such a great desire to be pleasing to God that God just kept revealing to him things. He just kept making known to him different things about, his, about himself, about the timelines, about the, the different things that would come to pass, about how God's great plan of redemption would unfold down through the ages. Maybe sometimes God would point Enoch up into the stars and say, you know, it's going to start with a virgin. It's going to end with the lion. and All of these kind of things, it means something, Enoch. And so as Enoch began to grasp the meanings of this, he began to interpret that down into a pyramid that would be a record for mankind down through the ages. And I'm not going into all the details of the pyramid here today, but what I'm trying to say is Enoch caught the revelation and did something with the revelation. All right. Now I can really go into missions, Brother Ed. He said, feel free tonight to talk about missions if you want to. You know, it isn't just good enough that you caught the message. What are you doing with the message? What are you, all oh, the potentials of this hour that God has put into our hands, Brother Moses? Think about it. A message that transforms lives. I'll tell you a little story I told the brothers. I don't even know. I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but I'll tell you a little story. I was in, uh, in Uganda my last trip, and on the last day, a certain brother took me aside and said, Brother Tim, I need to tell you something. I said, okay. He said, this could be very detrimental to the reputation of Cloverdale Bible Way. I said, oh, okay. And with the work of God that's going on in Uganda. And uh, he said, uh, the, some brothers have contacted me and told me that, that they understand that Brother Fred, whom you know Brother Fred, Brother Fred is paying people money to read the message. I says, oh, is that so? I said, that's interesting. I said, uh, let me ask you a question first of all. The brothers that shared this with you, are they uh, kind of brothers that maybe have churches in the cities, maybe don't do much mission work themselves, and, uh, and so they're just hearing about these things, and, and it's come back to them that, yeah, he says, that kind of really describes it. Okay, I thought so, I said. I said, let me ask you another question. I says, or let me make a statement. If you can tell me how it is possible to have somebody read the message so that you know they read the message, and then you can pay them Please explain it to me because I will pay people to read the message. He was just shocked. He thought I was going to be so discouraged. I said, I'll pay people to read the message. I said, because I know this message changes lives. Because I, I, I know that won't work. But nevertheless, I was trying to make a point. And, I, and I, furthermore, I said to him, I know Brother Fred. You know Brother Fred. Brother Fred has no money. I said, so I don't even know how he would pay people to read the message. But nevertheless, if it was possible and I had the money, I would pay the world to read this message. Hello? Listen, they're paying them to stay at home. They're paying them not to go to work. They're paying them to sit there and do nothing and watch television or whatever. They're watching television. I will pay them to read the message. I think our government ought to pay them to read the message. It would be an entire different country. Hallelujah. What a revival would break out if people just read the message. 
Hallelujah. We have the great potentials right in our hands, the message of the hour. The revealed word of God, the mystery of God is finished. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? Enoch was a manifestation of God's word for his day. Just like the Bible says, let there be light, and there was light. That's a manifestation of God's word. God interprets his word by bringing it to pass. Enoch was a manifestation of the word of God. That's what is pleasing to God is for you and I to become a manifestation of the word of God for our day. Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. Hallelujah. The word there, pleasing God, in its basic form, means to excite emotion. Enoch excited the emotions of God. You say, Brother Tim, does God get emotional? I know God gets angry. Amen. I know the, the Bible says that God said, David is a man after my own heart. I know the Bible says that Abraham was a friend of God. Amen. I know God describes his relationship with different individuals in different ways, just like we do. And we, we have an appreciation for one another in different ways. I don't appreciate any of you like I appreciate my wife. But I, I said to Brother Ed on the way out here, I appreciate you. I just want you to know that I appreciate you. It means a lot to me. Been a friend in dark times and, and, and all of that. But he'll never, I'll never appreciate him like I appreciate my wife. And, let, and let me now let me interpret. I'm saying that this way for a reason. Because I, I like to, to stir up your minds. Is that Brother Ed stirs emotions in me but not like my wife does. It's a different relationship. All right? So when the Bible says Enoch pleased God, the Bible was recorded. Now, now, let me just make this very clear. Sometimes we let it just become common to us. God is telling Paul, you write right there in the Bible, Enoch pleased me. You understand what I'm saying? God is saying, this is what I think of Enoch. He had a testimony that he pleased God. Hallelujah. You know, the, and, and so we can look at the different, the different uh, aspects of that word just briefly. And how that, you know, we could talk about it in the fleshly natural realm. We find that Herodias' daughter danced before Herod and pleased him. All right? So she excited something within him. I think it wasn't very clean, but nevertheless, she excited something in him. He asked, asked her to ask for anything. His mother convinced her to ask for the head of John. So sometimes getting excited about something is not a good thing. A lot of people are getting excited in this age about something, and it could lead to bad things. But you know, uh, there is a reality of it. You know, the Bible says in Romans 15, it says, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. 
Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. And as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Jesus used a stronger form of the same word. And I don't go into the, all of the Greek and everything because it really doesn't matter as long as you understand what I mean. But Jesus used a stronger form of the same word and that particularly means to do something. And, and John chapter 8, he says, He that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Amen. Now, I just want to say this tonight. God has not left you alone. Because there's something in you that God wants to bring out of you. Say, my title tonight is, Why Have I Found Grace in Thy Sight? And you might say, well, what does this pleasing have to do with grace? It has everything to do with it. The Bible says in 1 John 3, it says, whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Amen. So we, we can't help but talk about Esther at this particular moment and, and at this precise time because there was something about Esther that pleased the king. Oh, there's a great revelation in this. I'm, I'm sure you probably already all have the revelation, probably already been preached here, but I want to just refresh our memories about it. How that Esther, you know, she, she was a Jew, but they kept that hidden, and how that Vashti was put out of the way, and we could go into all the types and shadows of the chamberlains and the, the different uh, 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 servants that were there and all of that. But, what I, uh, but Esther came at the, at the appropriate time to be called the queen. She got married to the king because she pleased the king more than anyone else. Are you, are you with me? All right. There was something about her. Now we know that Esther only did that which I think it was Haytack, the, the chamberlain, told her to do. Because she knew that he had insight into the thoughts of the king. And she wanted to be pleasing to the king. She didn't care about the fashion of the age. She didn't care about what was popular. She didn't care about the modern thinking of the time. She only cared about one thing. I have one man that I want to please, and that's the king. Amen. And so now she comes to this place, and, 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 and uh, oh, this, is, uh, this just thrills my heart so much I don't even want to say it. I just want to stand here and say this is great, and you ought to hear about it. <sighs> But, you know, she comes to the place where the Jews are being threatened and, and uh, Haman is trying to slaughter all the Jews and, and Mordecai is telling her to go into the king and she says, you know, I can't go into the king because no one can go to the king unless they're invited. And so, so now she's, she's really torn up within herself and she, he says, but you must go. And she says, all right, I'll go. Pray for me. If I perish, I perish. And she says, but I will go into the king. And so she, she fasts for three days and she makes her approach to the king. All right. Now, remember, she's the one that pleases the king. So now she's approaching unto the king, and she, she, as she approaches to the king, the king says, who's there? And the, the soldier says, it's, it's Esther the queen. And the king holds out his scepter, which is a sign of grace. 
as he is scepter of his righteousness, as it's a type of. And, and so he extends that to her, and she walks and touches the censer or the, the scepter. And, and so the king uh, looks at her now. Now, I have to pick up the, the story out of the book of Josephus because he gives us a little bit more detail in the background of it. And, and, and he says to her, he says, I see that you're quite fearful, and I see that you, because she had been fasting three days, remember, and he says, I see that you're a little bit weak. He says, what's going on in your mind? In other words, what's, what is the problem? She says, well, I know that I'm subject to death because nobody can come unto the king unless they're invited. And he tells her that law applies to everybody except you. Why? Because she's on a different level of relationship. All right. Now, I've preached that many times before, but I want to get to a point here that I never quite saw before in that why had she never heard that before? Why had nobody ever told her that before? Here it is. Because nobody had ever been the bride before. Vashti was dead. Vashti was gone. She had been put away. But now here's this one. Nobody could tell Esther, this is the potentials that are in you. Esther had to discover the potentials that laid right within her. Hallelujah. That's what this message is, is to reveal to you the secrets of the thoughts of God and why you are pleasing to him so that you can understand you have access to the king at any time. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You say, well, you know, I, I, the, they never talked about this in the Pentecostal age. They never talked about this in Luther's age. They never talked about this in Wesley's age. Why not? Because it wasn't bride time. But now we have come to bride time and that are things that are laying in the word that were only to be revealed in this hour because the relationship has changed from betrothed to wife. Yeah. Hallelujah. It's bride time, saints. That's the hour that we're living in. And there are potentials that are laying in you that only you can discover, and I'll, excuse me for saying it this way, and exploit for the benefit of the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Hebrews 11 also says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." One of the, the other versions of the Bible takes verse 26 of esteeming the reproach and says, he considered the contempt and abuse and shame born for Christ the Messiah who was to come to be greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. For he looked forward and away to the reward. All right, what was Moses viewing? As he looked forward to the reward, as he looked forward to the recompense, as he looked in the distance and saw that now, he's weighing it out in what is revealed to him. 
what lays ahead for these mud daubers is vastly superior to everything that Egypt already has. In other words, what he's saying is the potentials that are in these people are beyond measure. Moses looked at a people and didn't see the current situation. He saw the potentials. His thoughts were guided by faith or revelation. And while I'll just say people in this world spend their lives and their energy to be like Moses, to become, the news is filled with billionaires. They're the new uh, mighty hunters of this age, if we'll say it that way. They're, they're the new elite, the billionaire class, the, the 1% or the one-tenth of 1%. I don't, I don't even know the numbers, but, you know, they're the ones that are be, to be admired by the people. But let me tell you something. I look at you, and the potentials that are in you are greater than what every billionaire in the world possesses, all accumulated in one. What they are fighting over, what they are wrangling over, what they are manipulating economies and governments and everything over is the wealth of this world. But, but these people are heirs to worlds upon worlds. We had a prophet that said even one of your souls is worth 10,000 worlds. Now think of the wealth contained therein. And, and the economy that we're going to is not based upon dollars and cents. The pavement of that great city is gold. The pavement. That's just the pavement. All right? So, so forget about thinking of it in economic natural terms. But the potentials that lay within your life. Lord, help me tonight. The potentials that are already there. The potentials of the seed. Brother Branham said, when an apple seed goes in the ground, every apple that is ever going to come out of that tree is already in the seed. You might look at a little apple seed and say, oh, that's just an apple seed. I just bit it in the apple. I just throw it aside here. But the potentials that lay in that seed is apples upon apples upon apples upon apples and the potentials that lays in the bride of Jesus Christ is worlds upon worlds upon dimensions upon power upon eternity upon the very life of God himself laying right within the predestinated seed gene of the bride because that's a part of God himself and God comes in the last days and says, I'm going to send a message. And I'm going to reveal the mystery of God. I don't think it's so much the mystery of eternity. I think it's the mystery of God. The seed gene that lays there. The part that was in him before the foundation of the world. Not me. The part that was in him before the foundation of the world. That he looked down through the ages and said, there'll be a Tim Dodd in the last days. And I'm going to drop a potential in there. And I'll tell you what, I want to know everything that that potential will do. Hallelujah. I want to govern my home as a father and say, sickness, you have no rights here. Death, you have no rights here. And I've been there. You know, all of these things that the world has, you have no rights here. This is my inheritance. 
These children are my children. They are my offspring. I am claiming the potentials that lays within the seed gene of God. I am claiming every part of it. I'm claiming every square inch of it. I'm claiming every part of the land. I want to know every border. I want to know every strength. I want to know every power. Hallelujah. The potentials that laid within Caleb as he walked into the land. And after five years or seven years or whatever it was, he comes to Joshua. He says, you know, when Moses was here, he said, the footsteps, wherever my footsteps landed, that was mine. He says, I haven't weakened. I haven't disbelieved one word. I've stood. It didn't manifest the very first day we walked in the land. It didn't manifest the first year or the second year or the third year. But I'm telling you something. There's something welling up within me that says, give me my mountain. I'm here to claim it. More than that, I'm here to possess it. The potentials that laid within Caleb was to defeat every giant that lived on the mountain. Hallelujah. Maybe when he was born and his mommy was holding him in his arms, his mommy wasn't saying, you know what, this is a giant killer. This baby is going to grow up to slay giants. This baby is going to grow up to lead a tribe. This baby is going to, no, maybe his mother didn't realize the potentials, but God put those potentials in there. Hallelujah. And God put his potentials in you. Glory. I don't know if it's acceptable to the health people. Glory to God. Let me tell you something. My health has never been better. Say, well, Brother Tim, you're getting older. No, I'm closer to the promise than ever before. My health has never been better. Hallelujah. Moses looked at those people. Moses knew the word of God and he looked upon the promised people. He looked upon them, as Brother Brown speaking, as a people that had a promise. You have a promise. I'll show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. You have a promise. The Lord himself shall descend with a shout, a voice, and a trumpet. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. I'll show you a promise. By his stripes we are healed. I'm the God that delivers you out of all your troubles, out of all your sicknesses, out of all your diseases. That's the potentials laying within the seed gene. Moses looked upon them as a promised people. He looked upon them as a people that had a promise. No matter how much the world that day looked down on them. You don't think you're looked down on? Sure you are. I am, you are. People look at you and go, what, you don't find any of that in education. You know, show me the scientific side of it. It's got nothing to do with it. It's the potentials. And God has revealed to us the potentials. He says, they looked down on a bunch of mud daubers. Slaves looked upon them as a people. But he looked upon them as a people having a promise. Pharaoh looked out of the same window, but he seen slaves. Moses seen victory. Hallelujah. Why? He had focused himself. Listen now. He had focused himself. Though being a prince, though heir to the throne of, God, of Egypt, he focused himself away from the lust of the world. Listen. You've got natural traits that are very desirable to this world. 
Are you here? You've got natural things in your life that the world would love to use for their businesses, for their corporations, for their, their uh, health establishments, medical science and all different things, educational things. They'd love to use your mind. They'd love to use your abilities. But Moses focused himself away from that. Not that he didn't have to carry on in the world, have a job, all that sort of thing, but he focused himself away from that. He says, uh, he focused himself away from the beauty and power that he had within his own potentials to receive. He focused that out until he seen a blessed people down there by the promise of God. He focused in because he knew that God promised Abraham that he would visit his people and he knew he was raised up for that purpose and he focused it all out. Moses looked by faith. How are you looking tonight? Forget about your bank account. That doesn't mean anything. Forget about your aches and pains. Faith doesn't tell you about aches and pains. You'll have them as long as you live on this earth. Faith, or forget about all the natural things. You might even have troubles in your minds, maybe because you're feeding upon the wrong kind of things that is confusing the issues in your mind. You need to focus your mind away from those things and down to the potentials that God has put within you, the answers to which lay in the Word of God. He says, Brother Bram says, now listen real close to this remark. Now don't forget this. Now faith is designed to see what God wills and wants. There is no knowledge that can do that. Faith alone is designed and give to the human race to find out what the will of God is. Then when the faith that's in you focus you to this word, you're focused away from all denominations and creeds and everything. You're focused right straight on the word of God. You're zeroed in. The only thing it needs is a little touch off. Amen. That prayer flies straight into the presence of God because there's nothing to stop it. Yes, that's what it does. When you're zeroed in with God, focused in, by then you're looking at the target. Amen. Well, I guess gotta agree. I just got to read this one quote. It's like... The Holy Spirit saying, read it. I wanted to just skip over it and go back to the original thought. In the message, Pardon, 1963, October. Brother Branham says it this way. He says, why the church ought to be a million miles up the road to where it is now. Jesus is waiting on his church to get ready. His bride has made herself ready. We got the potentials. The Holy Spirit is here. God is here. The power to see, to heal the sick. The power to do all the things that Christ did. I've seen it demonstrated myself by the Holy Spirit. So the potentials are here. What God's waiting for us to get away from is our traditions. And come back under the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, and become the church of the living God. 
Whosoever will may come take of the waters of life freely. I believe that with all that's in me that God has sent down the Holy Spirit to do that. But we with our rituals, without sincerity, is because it's a tradition and because it's a ritual. We go without sincerity, without real sorrowfulness of sin. Oh my saints. What's God waiting for? For us to get away from what we think by our traditions. Hello? The potentials are unlimited. The potentials are infinite. Because the God who put a part of himself in you is infinite. The potentials are omnipotent because the God that put a part of himself in you is omnipotent. So what hinders it then is our traditions. The things that we hold to that explain why we can't have what the word promises we are to have. But you know what? With every promise of God, there is a key factor. It's called grace. Grace. God deals with his children by grace. Brother Branham said it this way. He says, Abraham, called by election, God given him the covenant of grace unconditionally. The covenant was given to Abraham and to his seed. How many seed of Abraham are in here? So the covenant is of grace is given to you unconditionally. It's no longer based upon what you do. I, I was reading, uh, I can't, I, I'm going to look up the quote because I want to use it at some point in time, but I was reading somewhere, I can't remember where it was or if I was listening to a tape, but somewhere this week I was reading that Brother Bram said, you know, someone asked, asked me, Brother Ram said, someone asked me, do believers drink, and I think he said beer, and, I, and that would be the easy way to find it. Do believers drink beer? And Brother Branham says, he says, I'll tell you what, just get born again and then drink all the beer you want to. It was something along those lines. I don't have it in front of me, so I'll just say I'm, I'm paraphrasing it. But that's exactly the truth. Just get born again. And then you say, oh, is something worldly? Well, just get born again. And then go ahead and have all the beer that you want to or have all the whatever you want to. If you've got the Holy Ghost in you, it will convict you away from worldly things. Amen. Amen. He, says, he says the only thing they had to do to maintain this covenant, or I'm sorry, you have to step back. The covenant was given to Abraham as to his seed. Now notice the covenant was absolutely grace completely. There was no if you will or if you won't or if you do this, I'll do that. He says, I've already done it. 
Amen. Not if you'll do something. It's like this morning to Mary. Uh, be it unto me according to your word. You, the word comes by your way and you believe it and it becomes materialized in your life. Hallelujah. Because Paul says, who's Abraham, whose seed we are by faith. Because Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And Paul preaching to the church, trying to bring them out of Judaism traditions and trying to show them, listen, it's not upon legalism. It's not upon circumcision. It's not upon the tenets of the law. It's not upon any of those things, which many of those things he says are fine. Don't eat meat, whatever more. That's all right. But it's not based upon that. It's by faith and that by grace. It's not of works. Because if it was of works, then you have a, a, an agreement with God. If you do this, I'll do this. But God came down to Abraham and says, Abraham, step aside. I'm going to show you my covenant. I'm going to establish my covenant with you and your seed, whose seed we are by faith. Yeah. Hallelujah. It's a grace covenant. It's God's grace that is established within our lives. So we come down. To the, I, I can bring this to a close now. Praise the Lord. We come down to this place. That the impact for the believer as expressed by Noah and by others in Hebrews chapter 11. That excites the emotion of God. How that the Hebrew children stood in the fire and said, you know, as, as far as whatever you're going to do with the fire, that's up to you. As for us, we're not going to bow because we believe God. And that excites the emotions of God. Somebody that will just stand and say, listen, we might burn, but that's all right because we believe God. It doesn't matter what happens to us because we believe God. It doesn't matter what way this world goes because we believe God. It doesn't matter if they say you got to shut down because we believe God. It doesn't matter if they think they can close it up because we believe God. Our God is greater than this government. Our God is greater than the government's rules. Our God is greater than anything mankind can say. It's certainly greater than any little pipsqueak virus that's going around. Our God is greater. And God is excited by a people that says they will serve me no matter what. Hallelujah. When Israel was coming out of Egypt, led to the Red Sea by God. Why did God lead them to the Red Sea? Why did God let them run out of water? Why did God let them run out of food? To see what their reaction would be. To see if the word could be mixed with faith in them that heard it, that they might please God, because without faith it's impossible to please God. And so they're there in the wilderness, and there's Time after time after time, God was looking for something. I give you an opportunity to express some faith. What was the opportunity? Was it to come to church and give a recital? No, the opportunity is, okay, there's no water. Hello? That's an opportunity. Well, Brother Tim, I thought that was a trial. A trial is an opportunity to express your faith. I believe God anyway. I don't have any food, but I believe God anyway. Joshua and Kenneth said, we don't know where it's going to come from, but we believe God anyway. But there was two million that perished in the wilderness because the word was not mixed with faith in them that heard it, Hebrews says. 
And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because it's a, as a recognition of faith, our faith that God puts his spirit in us. Circumcision is a type of that. God gave in, giving Abraham circumcision. That is what divine love is, not to each other, but back to God. Amen. Here we are. Give me five, ten more minutes and then we're done. So here comes a little woman. She got married to a Jew, but she's a Moabite. She lived in the land of Moab, but she considered the reproach of the Jews greater treasure than whatever Moab had. Because when the father died, the father-in-law died, and the brother-in-law died, and her husband died, and her mother-in-law says, I'm going back to the land that I come from, and you girls just stay in your land. It had become real to Ruth that the potentials with these people is greater than anything I have in Moab. There was something that was in her that was moving. Why was it moving? Because she was a part of the revelation of God. God had to show through these five ladies of, of Ruth and, and Rahab and Tamar and different ones, there was a purpose that God was reflecting of what was in his thoughts. In other words, there was a potential there in that woman to fulfill it. She didn't know what is that. All she knew was, I'll be identified with these people. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I leave everything else behind. As Paul says, I lay aside the things that are in the past. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. You know, and we often say, you know, that, that, that's the way I am, Brother Tim. But the problem with a lot of people is they're hanging on to a lot of things back here. They're, they're trying to press forward, but they're hanging on to complexes. They're hanging on to things that happened to them back there. They're hanging on to the scars of their life. They're hanging on to their bitterness. Are you with me? They're hanging on to the different things that the devil is trying to hold them down to this earth with. To hold them back from their potentials. And they're hold, holding on by tradition. Oh, this is the way my family is. This is the way I was raised. This is the way that I've been taught. This is the culture I come from. This is the way we do it in our country. God's waiting for the church to let go of the traditions. And press towards the mark. As Paul says, I lay aside everything. I lay aside the apostle Paul, the Jew of the Jews, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, taught at the feet of Gamaliel, said it's not by the law. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. He laid aside those things. He says, I renounce these things for the potentials in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. There's greater reality in the blood of Jesus Christ than the entirety of the law combined. Hallelujah. And he kept admonishing the church. Let go of those things. Listen, you're not tied to the Judaistic law, but you're tied to a lot of psychological things. You're tied to a lot of mind battles. 
You're tied to a lot of history. You're tied to a lot of culture. You're tied to a lot of things of this earth. I say in the name of Jesus Christ, let it go. Press towards the mark for the prize, the potentials of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, help me. I don't want my earthly family. I want the potentials. I'm not talking about forsaking. I'm just saying I don't claim those potentials. I claim his potentials. I don't claim the limitations of the Dodd name and the Dodd lineage. I lay a hold on the term Mrs. Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I don't want the potentials of Cloverdale Bible Way or End Time Message Tabernacle or, or Jeffersonville, Branham Tabernacle or whatever they call it now, Voice of God Recordings or whatever they got down there. Not interested. Not interested. Give me the potentials of a seed gene of God quickened by the word of God. Hallelujah. I'm not interested in organization. I'm not interested in identifying with, a, with just some kind of group. I'm, I'm interested in identifying with a people that says I'm an attribute of God. And I want to lay full claim on everything that God has made me. I feel like maybe I, I don't want to push that to where you don't understand, but I want you to understand something here. Because that's what excites the emotion of God. Because now here's this young woman in the field. And here's Boaz. He's, he's got the business. He's got the fields. He's got, he's got the wealth. He's got, you know, he's, God has blessed him. But he doesn't have a wife. And he doesn't have an heir. And in the back of his mind... In the back of his, listen, in the back part of God's mind, he's saying, there is a woman that won't fall like Eve. There's a woman that won't betray me like Israel. There is a woman in whom I can express my potentials. And here Boaz comes to the field, the Lord of the harvest. And now God begins to deal with him because he's a type. His life is a type. He's living out a type. And God begins to deal with him. Is this the woman? Is this the one through whom I will express myself finally? After so long a time, is this the one who will bring me an heir? Is this the one who will fulfill my inward desires. I'm not just talking about physical desires. I'm talking about inward desires. To be a father. I can't be a father unless I have a wife. I can't be a husband unless I have a wife. I can't be a father unless I have a child. Is this the one? This was the one. And as Boaz looked upon this woman who had never married, there was a woman now that was catching his eye that would be a match to his inner desire. And I want to say, no doubt, the emotions of Boaz got excited. Hallelujah. There is a bride that has come on the scene in this hour that believes the revealed word of God for this day. And I want to say, I believe the emotions of God are excited. 
the potentials that he had in the back part of his mind that he could only reveal to his bride is now made known. Oh, saints, what an hour we're living in. This is stronger. This is stronger desire than the desire of a woman to be a wife and a mother. It's a stronger desire than that. The desire of fatherhood. The desire to be a family. And I hope you know where I get that. Jehovah did not make himself a family. He became a family. Hallelujah. Smyrnian Church Age, Brother Brown says, now it says, as I bring this to a close, says, he hath chosen us in him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world. That means that we were right there with him in the mind and thoughts of God before the foundation of the world. That gives an eternal quality to the elect. You can't get away from that. He says, now then... Here we are coming to a conclusion. As the eternal Logos God was manifest in the Son and in Jesus dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And that eternal one was the Father manifested in flesh and, there, and thereby gained the title of Son. Even so we. That one statement says what I've just told you applies to you. He says, even so we, eternal in his thoughts, in our turn, became the many-membered spoken word seed manifested in flesh, and those eternal thoughts now manifest in flesh are the sons of God. Hallelujah. Are the potentials of God become reality. He says, even as we are so called, we did not become seed by the rebirth. I'm quoting. He says, we were seed and therefore were reborn. For only the elect can be reborn. Only the ones with the potentials can be reborn. Because we were seed is the reason we could be quickened. In non-seed, there is nothing to quicken. And so that takes us back to the Song of Solomon. Brother Ed touched on it briefly. I didn't, I didn't know if I'd even mention this tonight till he was in the office and said, you know, I was just bringing some things out of the Song of Solomon. <laughs> I thought, okay. I guess I have the green light. <laughs> and in the Song of Solomon, the woman writes, I am my beloved's and his desire is towards me. I am the one that excites my beloved. I, the bride of Jesus Christ. Can you put your name there? Do you know you're the bride? And that his grace is extended towards you? Do you realize you're the very reason or you're the very manifestation of the very desires of God that he's held in the back part of his mind down through the ages that could not be revealed in any other day until this day. So he sends a mighty vindicated prophet to prove that these things are the truth and to tell you, you are mine. 
And it's not by your works, it's by grace. I have chosen you, you have not chosen me. I put my seed in you, you did not put it there. But because you had a seed when the word came by your way, it quickened you. It spoke to you. It drew your attention. There was something in you that said there's more to it than what I know. And God began to make himself real to you because his desire is towards you. Hallelujah. And I want you to notice now it's not the love of a father to a child. It's the love of a bridegroom to a bride. It's the love of Boaz towards, uh, towards Ruth because there's potentials that laid within her to bring out a part of Boaz that nobody else could bring out. Many people love Boaz. Many people thought Boaz was a great guy. Many people were friends with Boaz. Many people respected Boaz. Many people had great ideas about Boaz, but only one person could bring him to the position of bridegroom, and that was Ruth. And only one person can bring Jesus Christ to the position of bridegroom, and that's the bride of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I am my beloved's, and his desire is towards me. Listen. When Rebecca was called, we know that Isaac, the Bible says, loved Rebecca. But she was called out by Eliezer. There was a time of washing, a time of preparation, washing in the water of the words of Eliezer. There was a time of being clothed with the gifts from Isaac and Abraham. There was a time when, when there would be a time of resting. But now when they came to the end of the road, there was only two people in the time of love. The Bible says when they arrived back to the promised land, that uh, uh, Rebecca said, who is this man? And Eliezer said, that's him standing in the field there. And Rebecca lights down off the camel now. And she walks to him there in the field. She already knows him because Eliezer has introduced him through his word. And now she already knows him. Isaac does not say, come on, Eliezer, you and Rebekah come into the tent. No, 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 no. This is not a, th uh, a three-person relationship here. This is now just Isaac and Rebecca. She has come to change from the betrothed now to the Mary. And Isaac took her into his mother's tent. And Isaac loved Rebecca. Hallelujah. God has drawn you out of the churches for what? To love you. To show you his love. To express his love. Which is the greatest power this world has ever known. God's love expressed. What will conquer everything? Love will. When love is projected, then what? Sovereign grace comes on the scene. Grace accompanies love. Grace and love is sisters. But grace accompanies love. And when love is projected... Grace comes on the scene and produces the result. Hallelujah. The potentials that lay within the bride. Brother Brown says in perfect faith as musicians come. He says, Enoch knew that he pleased God. Oh, I'm sorry. No, he's talking about Jesus here. He says he knew that he pleased God. Jesus did. He knew there was nothing on his life. God had already testified, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. 
This is my beloved son in whom I'm pleased to dwell in at the day of his baptism. I'm pleased to make my abode with him. There's no condemnation to him at all. Now when the same God comes to you and is pleased to dwell in you, pleased to honor your word, what your decision is. Brother, excuse me, Brother Branham says, that puts you back in the word. He didn't say that puts you in the word. He says that puts you back in the word because that's where you came from. Hallelujah. He says, now that's not skim milk. See, it puts you back. I know it's going to jump over the top of you maybe because it can't anchor, but real genuine faith catches that right now. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Give me C if you would. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise for it was grace that bought my liberty I do not know just why
heads together it's grace and that by faith it's faith and that by grace you see it's not of you you didn't come into this hour you weren't born into this world with a knowledge of your potentials but the word came to reveal your potentials you are that bride that is called to walk with God alone by personal revelation, not group revelation, and called to manifest the very thoughts that he had in his mind hidden through every age revealed in the days of the seventh angel. What do you mean, Brother Tim, manifest his thoughts? I mean he's a healer. I mean he's a savior. I mean he's a deliverer. I mean he's peace. I mean he's joy. I mean he's victory. I mean he's all these things. He's a provider. He's, he's a banner. He's all peace over us. Oh, he's the loving God. He's the bridegroom. He's all of those things. And maybe you have a need tonight. Why don't you just lift up your hand before God and say, Lord, I accept your grace. I may not know why I have found grace in your sight. But I believe it's because you saw your potentials fulfilled in me. You see, before there could even be sickness, there was a healer. Before the sickness could even exist, there had to be a healer. But he's looking for those in their sickness that'll say, God, you're my healer. He's looking for those in their weakness that'll say, God, you're my strength. He's looking for those in their turmoil that'll say, God, you're my peace. I accept your grace. Why don't you just do that tonight as we pray? Why don't you just surrender your life afresh as a believer and just say, Lord, I'm yours. I might feel like I'm gleaning in the field, but Lord, whatever you make of my life, I give my life to you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day that we've had in the house of God. We thank you for the time that we could come and stand behind the pulpit and you would anoint your word and you would preach your word to your people and tell them who they are and tell them how much you love them and tell them the devil cannot stand before them. When the weakest believer believes, when they go to their knees in prayer, the devil trembles because he knows more about the potentials in the believer than sometimes we know ourselves, oh God. Lord, I pray that you'll open understanding tonight. I pray, Lord, that you'll pour in revelation tonight. I pray, oh God, that you'll cause people to recognize who they are. That you'll cause them, Lord, to realize that they can walk with you and accept the promise and defeat the devil on any grounds, anytime, anywhere. And we withstand the devil. We withstand his workings. We withstand his onslaught. We withstand his lying vanities in the name of Jesus Christ. And we claim the victory. For we're coming to the final victory when death shall be swallowed up in victory and this mortal will become immortality. Oh God, to you be the glory. 
To you be the glory. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your love extended towards us. Father, may faith leave this place with its predestinated resting place. That's the hearts of your children. And may they walk from this place with a greater revelation of who they are and, Lord, with a closer relationship with you, O God. We commit the service to you. We commit the word to you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Whatever key, F maybe. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Don't you love him? That's it. 